0: Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, detours. Maybe on the way to church today, you had to take a detour. Basically, you go off the the road you wanted to take, and you have to go take an alternate route. And we see detours when we're traveling. You, you remember maybe children that you've been driving, and nice smooth paved highway, and all of a sudden there's some shining lights, and somebody with a safety vest kind of pointing to a dirt road that you have to bump along and the car gets dusty and you smell the tar and the asphalt and you can't wait to get back to the paved road. Well, if you compare your car to the church and the journey to the history of God's salvation, that helps you to understand our text. Jacob and his family are the church in the world at that time when we were reading in Genesis there. And the promised land is like the highway that leads to the destination of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. And God's people, they want to stay in the place where God is bringing salvation. They don't want to turn to the left or to the right. They don't want to leave the highway because they know that that is where God is bringing salvation the Savior. But there was a famine in the land. How many times did we read it? It was a very, very severe famine. And the people of God were forced by their circumstances to leave the promised land. And then the questions come, what should the church do and think when the highway seems to come to an end? And in this context, God reveals to the church that he is is sovereign over everything in our lives. He is in, in every place that nothing that happens to us is outside of his knowledge. Although we may have to take a different route than we expected, and although we may live as a distinct group in an increasingly hostile environment, the big promise is that he is always with us and that also The detours are part of his plan. He will bring the church to the destination they long for, even when it looks like our smooth, paved highways come to an end. And I preach to you this gospel the Lord's plan of salvation includes detours. There's three ways we look at that. Are you refugees? God is with you. Are you different? You're on the right path. Are you underdogs? Not a chance. When parents are driven by persecution or famine or war, family or even vocation to emigrate to a new country, the the journey for survival is often cloaked with sadness. Sadness about what you are leaving and a fear of the consequences of your decision for the next generation. We read in Genesis 46 verse 1 that when Israel was at Beersheba and about to cross the border on his way down to Egypt, right there on the border he stopped perhaps at the altar that his father Isaac had made many years before and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. You see, Joseph wanted very much to go to see his son. He was looking forward to that reunion that we read about, also we read about in the passage uh, we read together. And Jacob really wanted to save his family from dying from the famine in in Canaan, but he was also afraid. He was afraid of the consequences for the church. He was thinking of the future of God's People, Jacob knew that he was not just leaving the comforts of the family farm in his old age. But at a deeper level, he was leaving the land that God himself had granted to the church so that the Messiah could be born from one of his descendants. And if you remember how poorly things went for Abraham when he left the promised land because of a famine, that's Genesis 12, And if you remember that God specifically told Isaac, Jacob's father, don't go down to Egypt. Well, we can see why Jacob was afraid of turning his back and going to Egypt now. Would God be pleased with Jacob if he turned his family into refugees in a foreign land? Would they ever be able to return to the promised land? Is this a a permanent decision Or is it a detour? The passage we read today describes a moment in the history of Revelation when the church of God was forced by the circumstances to turn off the paved highway of their plans and their expectations to become refugees. We notice that in this context, the Lord reaches down and he speaks to the church. He knows the thoughts, he knows, the fears of his children. We read that he spoke to Israel in visions of the night. That's in, or he, he, that's in verse uh, 2, chapter 46, verse 2. He speaks to them in visions of the night, and he calls out, Jacob, Jacob. He knows the little man by name. And when Jacob recognized the voice of his covenant father, the Lord then explained to Jacob that he had not forgotten the promise he made to Jacob earlier in his life when Jacob was th- fleeing from Esau. Even though things looked grim, the Lord would still ensure that Jacob's offspring would live in the promised land. And also, and then you can look at that in Genesis 28 where God spoke to Jacob the first time when he was fleeing from Esau. He said, it's still true. Your descendants will still be like the dust of the earth. Your descendants will still spread into every corner of the, of the world. And in you, Jacob, and in your children, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the text that was displayed as we came in to worship uh, this morning. The God of the covenant helped Jacob to remember the promise that he had made earlier. And that promise was that what would sustain Jacob as he had to go on this detour, the Lord would bring him back. And we see that the Lord is showing, Jacob is showing the church of all time that his plans are not thwarted by the things that happen on the earth, not even a famine. The Lord says that he would use their time in Egypt to make them into a great nation. He would take the hardship and he would turn it into a good thing for the church. And he says, and I myself will be with you. And then we can see why Jacob now in verse 5, he's able to, to continue his journey. He sets out from Beersheba. He crosses the border and he makes the plunge. He is now A refugee. He sends Judah ahead of him. Maybe that's showing how Judah would be later a leader in the church. Now the Lord's words to Jacob confirmed for him that he would have to continue on a difficult pilgrimage. The Lord told Jacob's grandfather Abraham, and you can look at this in Genesis 15, verses 13 to 16, The Lord had told Jacob's grandfather Abraham that his descendants would be sojourners in a land that belonged to others and he would be enslaved for 400 years. Jacob crossed the border. The Lord told him he would be with him. But Jacob knew that promise, 400 years of slavery. And we see the sovereign plan of God does not always bring comfort and riches to the church. Jacob himself moaned bitterly to Pharaoh. In chapter 47, verse 9, he said said to Pharaoh that the the years, the 130 years of his sojourning have been few and evil. If you think about it, you remember his earthly father had loved his brother Esau more than him. He was deceived by his uncle Laban several times. His wives competed for him. He was betrayed by his firstborn son. He was lied to by all his children. And now he knew he had to die in a place that was distant from the promised land, away from the place where the Savior of the world would come. Jacob had to hear that this hardship was also part of God's plan. This hardship is a result of living in a fallen world. God does not promise to take away all the hardships and and, and, and detours away. But he promises that he will be with Israel and in him, the church of the coming generations. The Lord comforts Jacob not by telling him that he'll take away everything, not by telling him that there will be no detours, but by saying, I will be with you. Verse 4, I myself will go with you to Egypt. That's the great Emmanuel promise. The word Emmanuel means God with us. The great Emmanuel promise, the promise that God is with his covenant people wherever they may be, that's one of the greatest Promises God's people can ever have in any place and at any time. Emmanuel, when things are going as planned. Emmanuel, when we are forced to take a detour due to difficult circumstances. Emmanuel, God is with us. We can have peace even in hardships. And the words of God were a great comfort. For Jacob, on a very personal level, he could be comforted to know that God knew him by name. And God could see him even as he was there on the earth traveling to Egypt. And God would allow him to see his son Joseph before he died. The Lord understood the the love of a father for his son, the desire to to be there, to, to feel his embrace. God's word were also a great comfort for Jacob as the spiritual head, as the patriarch of the church. For Jacob could know that his decision to leave would not interfere with God's plan, would not cause damage to the church, would not hinder the coming of the Messiah, even if there were going to be many years of slavery and affliction for for generations to come Jacob could know that it would be a slavery and an affliction with the Lord, their God, at their side. In fact, the Lord told them they would grow into into a great nation. The famine was temporary. There would be a way back to the promised land. God is not limited to one land or one temple or even one people group. This is a very important theme. It's so important that when Stephen was about to be uh, stoned in, in, the, in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, and he recounted the history of the people of God, he specifically mentions that Jacob and his family left the Promised Land and went down into Egypt. You can read about that in Acts 7. And he's making the point for the church of all ages that God is omnipresent. God is present in all Places that there is nowhere we can flee from His presence. He is a God who is with us wherever we may be, even in the detours. And the Holy Spirit there refers to our text today to explain the eternal consequences of Christ's victory over death, over sin, over Satan. The Holy Spirit is revealing his work after Pentecost. This means that we can thank God for the same things that Israel and his sons praised God for. The kingdom of God is in every place. The kingdom of God is not a geographical location. Our God is not limited to a, a few number of people and a, few, a, a small number of people in a, in, in a single place but the church consists of all those who trust in the Lord and who walk beside Him in this journey of life as He goes with them and holds their hand even in the detours. And when the Lord is in our midst, when we walk with Him, when we trust in His almighty plan, it has consequences. And All of a sudden we find that we look different than the world does. If you look at Genesis 45, verses 17 to 20, Pharaoh heard that the brothers had come for the first time. You can see that Pharaoh was in a generous spirit when he heard that Joseph's brothers had come to Egypt. And he says to Joseph at that time, he gave him a Canadian government-type offer to the Israelite refugees. He says, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat of the fat of the land. Have no concern for your goods, for all the best of the land of Egypt is yours. It's a generous, gracious offer to refugees. It's based on Joseph's recommendation. Pharaoh was pleased to welcome the church into his country to allow them to become a part of his kingdom, his culture, and his people, to fit right in. In this context, it's striking to see Jacob's response. We read a whole bunch of names. We read, it was basically Genesis 46, verse 5 to, to verse 27, a, a list of all the people who came. Because Jacob accepted the first part of Pharaoh's offer to to go to Egypt. Confirmed by the Lord, he took everybody with him. The passage repeatedly emphasizes that all his offspring came. It's mentioned in verses 6 to 7. Then we're given the list of names in verses 8 to 25. And then the Holy Spirit repeats this again in verses 26 to 27. And although there is some debate about the names in that list that we read, especially the problem that Benjamin already had uh, 10 children, another question about how the total number accounts for all Jacob's children and grandchildren, and when these children were born, were they born before he left or when he was in Egypt, the major point of the passage is that everybody came, the, the church left the promised land. The whole church went down to Egypt. Jacob believed the promise of God. Jacob ensured that all the tribal heads went down to Egypt, to Israel, to receive the promise that God had given to them. He trusted that God was with his people, with the church, in the detour. He was confident that the church would once again return to the promised land. At the same time, it's important to notice that rather than accept Pharaoh's offer to take nothing of his own and to just assimilate into the country of Egypt, Genesis 46 verse 5 says, they also took, it's actually verse 6, they also took their livestock and their goods which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. Jacob chose to follow the instruction of his son Joseph to bring his livestock. Now that might not seem like a big deal, and and at first reading, you you probably don't think it's a big deal, but as you look at the passage, you, you will notice that it's repeated several times over. In fact, Joseph is trying to draw public attention to the fact that these people came with their livestock and with their animals. And then we see... It was very intentional. In order to keep the people of Israel united, to keep that church united, in order to save them from being assimilated into the culture of Egypt, Joseph ensured that everybody knew that they were shepherds. And he could spit that word out because they were shepherds. Shepherds were despised. They were an abomination to the Egyptians. Verse 34. And we can see that Israel decided to be despised, to remain distinct, rather than to be popular and disappear as the people of God. And that had to do with their faith in the promise that God had given to them that through them the Savior would come. Their decision to be despised Has the result that we today know Jesus Christ were a part of that church. Now we they didn't choose to be despised and separate for social reasons. They weren't trying to maintain a national identity or they didn't want to be the the hip and revolutionary crowd. In fact, they didn't even choose to be different. No, they chose to follow God. And the result was that they became different. They believed in God's promise of a Messiah. They understood that they had to become a a great nation in Egypt before they returned to the promised land where the Savior would be born. They said, well, if that's what we have to do, then that's what we're going to do, whatever the cost. Today, as we deal with questions of government funding of summer jobs, government funding for education, we're actually faced with a very similar question and and may I even say temptation. Are we going to choose to compromise our faith in order to eat of the fat of the land and be accepted and popular and, and go with the flow Can the government of a country really convince the church to deny her faith with offers of of funding? Or will we choose to follow God's truth, no matter what it costs, even if it means we will be different and maybe even despised? You see, faith in God makes us different. The faith of the Israelites made them realize that if anyone left the people of God, left the church, and and then embraced Egypt, those children, those people would, would miss out on the blessing of their salvation in Jesus Christ. The same is true for us today, and so in Romans 12, verse 2, the Holy Spirit tells us not to be conformed to the world but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When the Lord works in your heart, you know that there is nothing more that you desire besides Him. You know that nothing can bring you true joy and true satisfaction if it does not come as a blessing from God's hand. The faith, this faith in God, this faith in God's promises, that's what unites us together. We believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. We believe we want to follow him. It also makes us different than the world. Are you different than the world? Do you, at the end of the day, stand out? That means that God is working in your hearts. Although it sometimes may feel that you are going against the flow in the way that you think, in the way that that you explain things, the way that you understand the world, you are on the right path if you're following the Lord. And several times in the New Testament we're told to stand firm in the faith because you can only be a blessing if you are a faithful guardian of the truth. Paul explains it so nicely in Romans 9, verses 4 to 5. He's he just overflowing with, with explanation of what it means to be the church. He says, To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. The God who is with us. He changes our identity. He also supports us and supplies us with what we need so that we can follow him and not be afraid. We can follow him and even be confident. Confident enough to be a blessing to those around us. And that's our goal. We want to be different. We stand out so that. We can shine because we want to show love and to serve our neighbor. That asks the question, are you underdogs? Those looking at Israel's family from the outside, they may have concluded that Israel's God was not very powerful. They, they might have even had pity on the church of God. You see, God couldn't even keep them in their promised land. That's what it looked like. He he let his people become refugees in a foreign land and now they were the underdogs. However, when we look back to the chapters before Genesis 49, when we look back to everything that God had announced about his plan, we can see that everything is as it should be, just as God had planned. Israel was in the hand of the sovereign Lord, the Lord who was moving the nation. And so they were the most blessed and the most privileged of all the nations on the earth. The church in the hand of the sovereign Lord is the most blessed and the most privileged of all people. Israel's detour through Egypt actually had very specific and named purposes. God told them some of the reasons. In Genesis 15, verses 13 to 16, he explained that that detour to Egypt gave time to the Amorites in the promised land to repent before God judged that iniquity that would be complete. It also ensured that Jacob and his family could become a great nation. The detour would also allow the church to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. You see, living your life in a different way and following God rather than people Does not mean that the church is called to a life in a cloister, a a cloister life, a separate, internal, focused life. Jacob gets this. He understands his responsibility. He was set apart. He has this relationship to God. He and his the church are together there as refugees, they're different, but Jacob understands his responsibility. After Pharaoh asked them to help them by watching over his own personal livestock collection, we read that Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And then what do you read in chapter 47, verse 7? Jacob blessed Pharaoh. You think about that. Jacob, the refugee that everybody thought was dependent and hopeless with nothing left, he stood in in front of his earthly benefactor, the mighty Pharaoh, and then he called upon his covenant God to show favor to that man. You see, even though the church may refuse any gifts that could cost them their special identity as Christians, and even though they may politely refuse to, to swallow the ideology of the government when it goes against the truth of God's word, this does not mean that the church says, get lost, government, get lost, people. No, it means that we continue to pray. We continue to desire God's blessing for leaders. Jacob and Joseph dealt with Pharaoh very respectfully. They were honest. They said, it's not always easy to follow the Lord. The years of my pilgrimage were difficult. They earnestly desired the well-being of the king. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And then in the verses that follow, we see how much the church was a blessing for the Egyptians and for Pharaoh specifically. We don't have to reread all that Joseph did, but you can see that, that he publicly identified himself as a part of that church, the family of Jacob. And then he poured out blessings for Pharaoh. In just 14 years, he had subjugated the whole nation so that every Egyptian and every square inch of the land belonged to Pharaoh. All the money, all the livestock was given to him. The money went into Pharaoh's treasury. The livestock were cared for by the Israelites and Goshen. And Joseph continued to ensure religious freedom for the priests who were able to keep their own land. It seems that in the measure that Israel was a blessing for Pharaoh, so also they were blessed themselves. And we come to that beautiful conclusion in verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. As they were a blessing to those around them, the Lord blessed them. So clear that the Lord was with His people, and when the Lord is with you, you are able to be a blessing. In fact, that's the, the purpose of that blessing you receive. God's revelation in our text show us what He is like. It shows us what a blessing it is to follow Him. He remains us. He reminds us straight off the bat that His blessings are poured out upon the world through the church. It is the church that is blessed by God and the church that is called to be a blessing. Although we may look like the underdogs because we are refugees in a world that has rejected the Lord, because we are so small and so humble, and frankly, often very nice, even when people are unkind to us, gracious and forgiving. Even when we are misunderstood or attacked, yet we have the truth. We know that God's plan will be victorious. You can walk out from here today, you can say, whatever happens, God's will will be done. Even when we think about the recent Supreme Court decision concerning Trinity Western University, the denial, the JCCF request for an injunction, it remi- remains. Our desire, doesn't it? It remains our desire. Not to say, get lost, world. It remains our desire, rather, to love the world. To serve our neighbor. No matter what they stand for, what, what they may think of us. We, we, we lift up our eyes to God. We see the blessing he pours upon us. And we want to be a blessing. And <coughs> you walk in a more difficult path, It includes detours, it includes mockery, and sometimes it even includes separation. But it is a privilege. It's a small price to pay when we compare to the unassailable comfort of knowing that the triune, eternal, sovereign covenant, God and Father is with us. No matter how you're treated, no matter what it costs you financially or physically, Let us never stop being a blessing to the world by speaking the truth, by loving our neighbors and living in the quiet conviction that the Lord ensures our peace and forsakes his promise never. His steadfast love endures and we are his forever. We're going to stand up now. We'll sing that Together, Psalm 107, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4.